Well, with all the craziness in our world today, we're all searching for some good news. I mean, every time you turn on the news, it feels like there is so much darkness. There's another tragedy, another heartbreaking story on the news. And I think that Christians and non-Christians alike have, uh, have this desire. They're lo- we're all looking for some good news. That, that's why I think this story that uh, I, I heard went viral. It, it went kind of crazy. Maybe you've heard this story. It, it happened a little while ago, but the story is of a man by the name of Andy Mitchell from Texas. He was driving uh, one day when he drove past a man who was walking on the side of the road. And So he decides to stop. It's 95 degrees out that day in Texas, and he decides to stop by and and offer this man a ride. And the guy gets in, and and it's a young man by the name of Justin Corva. He's 20 years old. He tells Mitchell that he usually walks three miles to and from his job at Takakasa every day, and he's saving up for a car. Inspired by Justin's tenacity, Mitchell takes a quick selfie of the two of them together. He posts it on Facebook, and along with that picture, he puts this comment. To all the people who say that they want a job but can't find a job or don't have a vehicle, all I can say is you don't want it bad enough. Well, soon the chain, a chain reaction begins. Sammy Delushi. Uh, the owner of a pizza shop in Rockwall, Texas, hears about Corva's situation. He sets a donation box outside or inside his restaurant on the counter there, and he collects funds for a car. A friend of Sammy's by the name of Danny Rawls uh, also happened to be a general sales manager at a Toyota dealer in, in town, and he asked his boss if he could find a car for this young man. His boss agrees and lowers the price on a 2004 Toyota Camry. Thanks to the donations that came in that flooded in, the fundraising efforts of these men and many others, uh, they had enough money in order to pay the insurance on this car for a year to give him two years of oil changes and $500 worth of gas. And so Andy and Sammy and Danny, they drive this car over to Takakasa to surprise Justin. And his emotional reaction is streamed on Facebook Live. Hundreds of thousands of people watch as this takes place. People have just flocked to this story, and the question is why? I mean, why would, why would this gain so much interest? And I think the answer is that we're all looking for some good news. We're all looking to be a part of something that is good. You know, in this world where things, uh, every time we turn around, it seems like things are looking so bad. We're all looking for a heartwarming story. And it's this concept of good news as we start looking and thinking about the Christmas story, talking about Jesus' birth over the coming weeks, that we want to ask this question, what is it that makes this good news? Uh, and the Bible says that this is good news of great joy. So what is it that makes this good news of great joy? Or maybe even better yet, is this still good news of great joy? Those are the questions that we want to wrestle with. Those are the questions that we want to think about and, and, and talk about in the coming weeks. This morning, we're kicking off our Advent sermon series 
uh, as we move forward, as we move towards Christmas. And we're entitling this sermon series, we're, we're calling it A Christmas Carol. And what we're going to be doing is, over the next weeks, we're going to be looking at one different well-known Christmas carol each week. And so, if you've grown up in the church, you're probably going to be very familiar with these songs. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've probably heard these songs before. You're very familiar with them. You're going to hear these songs, you're going to, we're going to sing these songs together, and you hear them and you say, you know what, I know that song it reminds me of Christmas time. Christmas is here. But what we're going to do is we want to use these songs as kind of a springboard to then talk about the message of Christmas, who Jesus is, and why all of this matters. Because, friends, while our culture kind of ramps up the intensity of consumerism, and let's be honest, I mean, even before Thanksgiving, I'm sure that some of you have already been thinking about uh, Christmas and the different things that you might want to buy or that you might want to get for Christmas. And the, these, the, the, the stores are just crowded with people. They're already crowded with people. They're going to continue to be crowded with people. There is all this craziness in our schedules until Christmas Day comes, right? So while our culture is stuck on uh, this consumeristic nature of Christmas, my prayer is that we as followers of Jesus Christ will hopefully be able to focus ourselves on who Jesus is, why it is that he came, and what makes this good news of great joy. That's our goal for today. That's our goal in the coming weeks because we're missing the point of Christmas if we as followers of Jesus Christ just kind of spend the Christmas season running crazy and thinking about decorating and making, uh, making cookies and, and buying gifts and all of that. That kind of misses the point, right? Instead, we need to make every effort to reflect on what makes Christmas such good news. I want to challenge you. My prayer today, by the end of our time today, is that we would be challenged with this. That who is Jesus? Who do I believe Jesus to be? Do I believe that, he re that, that this really is good news of great joy? And, or do I just kind of see this uh, Christmas thing as a part of my routine? Something that I do at the end of each year. I mean, it's Christmas time and so we've got to talk about Jesus. So is that kind of the way that we're thinking about this? Our goal today is to wrestle with this question. What do you believe about Jesus? And again, we're, we're going to use a different well-known Christmas carol to kind of lead us in order to search the scriptures about what we can find about what, what, what it says about Jesus and his birth. And so we're going to kick off the, uh, the, the sermon, the service today, this message today, by, by this. In 1865, a man by the name of William Chatterton Dix was working as a manager in an insurance uh, company. While he was working as this insurance, in this insurance company, he got really, really sick. And in fact, he got so sick that he almost died. He, he was infected with an unexpected and very serious illness. It resulted in him being bedridden and suffering from severe depression. And it was in this near-death experience that he had a bit of a spiritual renewal, a spiritual revival that took place in his life. In fact, we read that during this time he devoured the Bible. 
It was during this time that Dix writes this poem entitled The Manger Throne. The Manger Throne is later, be, later would become the words to the song, the, the Christmas carol that we're going to be looking at today. And it needed a tune, though. It needed some music in order to go along with that. Well, there was this well-known English ballad that was entitled Green Sleeves. And in the various versions of that ballad, it, it, it was tales of romantic love. In fact, Shakespeare himself called Greensleeves the opposite of the biblical narrative. Twice he said that it was the epitome of raunchiness. But as has been the case with musical tunes down through the centuries, this song kind of morphs over time. And in the 1600s, that tune in Greensleeves is used for lullabies. It's used to, uh, 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 along with unrelated theater songs. We get to 1865, a man by the name of John Stainer takes this poem from the Manger Throne, along with the music from Greensleeves, he puts them together and he publishes what is known today as What Child Is This? That's the song that we're going to be looking at today. What Child Is This? The reason why we're starting with this particular Christmas carol this morning is because I believe that it, it's kind of it's it's a wrestling with this fundamental question of Christmas: Who is this child? What child is this? That's uh, what, what's the big deal of the coming of Jesus? What makes this baby so important, so noteworthy? Why should we care about this? In this song, Dix imagines the visitors to this humble manger were wondering who this child was that lay there. I want to read to you uh, this song as a poem. Now, if any of you have done this before, you've tried to read a song, sometimes you feel like you're uh, about to start singing it. Now, I'm not going to do that to you this morning, or at least I'm going to try not to do that to you this morning. I'll try not to sing it, but to read it. Here's how it goes. What child is this who lays laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate, while ox and ass are feeding? Good Christians fear, for sinners hear, the silent word is pleading. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This poem, later a song, pictures this scene around the manger and those who were there kind of being confused by it. You know, we know that this is the king of kings. We know that this is the Messiah. But, but he's in a manger. He's surrounded by these dirty, smelly animals. He, he has an unwed teenage mother. This doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. They know that this is the baby, that this, that this baby, or who this baby is said to be. Why? But, but it's written here in the, that song, this kind of questioning of why lies he in such mean a state. And then... The songwriter declares that this baby is, in fact, the king of kings that brings salvation, that we are to worship him. And that's how the song kind of moves. And friends, this is the fundamental question of Christmas. 
What child is this? What's the big deal? Who is this child? And ultimately, is this really good news of great joy? Now, to answer that question that's posed by this carol, what child is this? I want us to turn to a beautiful passage of scripture this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you. But Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, if you would join me there. Just a little bit of background here uh, to kind of set up what it is that we're going to be reading. But let me just say that the book of Hebrews, the general principle, the overall theme, is that the author is trying to elevate Jesus, trying to lift Jesus up. You can't walk away from the book of Hebrews without being blown away by who Jesus is. You can't, you can't even hardly begin to wrap your mind around who it is that Jesus is. It's in this vein that he starts the book, chapter 1 of Hebrews, verses 1 through 4. And here is what it says, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And having become as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now what the author of Hebrews does is he takes this question, what child is this? And he says, this child is the ultimate and complete word of God to mankind. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the gospel writer John writes and he says this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You see, when you read through the Old Testament, you're, you're reading the Word of God that was spoken by the prophets. This is the way that God communicated to people. This is how he, he worked, that he used uh, these uh, prophets in order to uh, speak uh, to us the words that he wants us to know, what he wants us to know about him. But now the author of Hebrews says that while that was good, Jesus is far superior. Jesus is far superior to the old covenant. He's far superior to the prophets. The, the author of Hebrews there in Hebrews chapter 1 uh, verses 2 through 4 presents this series of statements about Jesus that then establish this surpassing quality about him. That each of them describes this status of God's son. That he is better than the prophets. You see, as valuable as the prophets were, and they were valuable, the author of Hebrews says... The value of the Son is so much greater than that. We, we wouldn't claim that the prophets were heirs of all things. We wouldn't claim that they were involved in the act of creation. But he says this about Jesus. He says that Jesus was present in the beginning and will be present in the end. 
Revelation chapter, uh, Revela- the book of Revelation says that uh, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, that he is the beginning and the end. And then the author of Hebrews says that in between the beginning and the end, that Jesus is the sustainer, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. These statements combined to make a powerful statement about the Son's preeminent role and activity in creation throughout all of time. That he is, that the Son is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's very nature. He also says that he came to provide purification for sin. And after he had done that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus is more than what you could ever imagine. He is raising our view of Jesus. That's why he's going to start here. uh, We want to start here at the beginning of Christmas to kind of look at this. You say, well, who is Jesus? Who is he? Well, the author of Hebrews says he is greater than anything that you could ever imagine. You can't elevate your opinion of him high enough. However high you think of Jesus, he is higher than that. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the sustainer. Uh, he, 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 he is sustained by his word. Things, everything is sustained by his word. He is the heir of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his very nature. Ultimately, he says that Jesus is the final and complete word of God to mankind because he solves the deep problem of human sinfulness. That the reason the creator of the world became the baby of Bethlehem is so that he might make purifications for human sinfulness, that he might solve the insoluble problem, that he might wash away the unwashable stain. That the good news of Christmas is that everyone who has found Jesus Christ, everyone who has come to him, will find again and again that he has the power to bring cleansing to their lives. The power to put away the guilt of the past, to wash away our sin, to set our feet on this clean slate in the power and grace of a living God. He says, anything that you can imagine about Jesus, well, he's that much greater. And then he says, And this, this one who is high and lifted up, this one who is greater than you could even imagine, is this baby in the manger. And the question is, well, do you believe that about Jesus? Do you believe believe, uh, who Jesus is to be? I mean, what, what this author has to say about Jesus. Because once we begin to understand who this child really is, as we elevate who he is, as we understand that we cannot grasp him, that we cannot wrap our minds around him, the question then becomes, well, what difference does that make in our lives? I mean, what, what difference? How does that change us? What, 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 how, how does that impact how we live now, today? How does who Jesus is impact us right now? You see, the, the writer of this song pictures the confusion that's going on in the minds of the people who see Jesus lying in this manger and, and wonder uh, who this baby is that, that would be the result. What would be the result? What would be the impact uh, of this baby? Friends, 
First, this child is the hope of the world. He is the one who brings salvation. This baby lying in the manger is not just some great teacher, not just some important prophet or an uh, important philosopher. No, this baby in the manger is the hope of the world. In fact, John chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17 say this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but, to, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John also writes in chapter 5, and verse, verse 24, uh, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Again, he says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Friends, the message, the story of Christmas is not just about a baby being born in a manger, but it is a story of hope. It is a story of salvation coming into the world. This is not a story of a baby who grew up into a man in order to show us a better way of living. But instead, this is the story of a Savior breaking into the world, breaking through and condescending, being born as a baby... So that this world might find forgiveness and hope and cleansing. You see, friends, each and every one of us has a sin problem. That is who we are. That is the problem that we have by nature. We are sinners. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That, that what we deserve because of our sin is judgment and wrath and death. It is a huge problem that all of us have. We, we cannot take care of the sin problem that we have in and our, of our own strength, in and of our own ability. The bad news is that you have a sin problem. The bad news is that I have a sin problem. But, but the good news is that God, in His grace, in His love for us, sent His Son Jesus to be born in a manger to bring about forgiveness and hope and salvation that we so desperately need but can't attain, cannot get in our own power. As we said, we read that the wages of sin is death. But we also read in that same context that the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that, that God in His grace, God in His love sent His Son to be born in a manger, to ultimately die on the cross, to rise from the grave, and in doing so, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice, defeating sin, defeating death for all time, bringing salvation over sin for all who call on His name, for all who follow Him. Friends, this is not about a baby. This is about the miraculous grace of God that is shown to humanity. Well, when we look at the manger scene, when we think about Jesus being born, it should almost be like a mirror for us. It should cause us to think, you know what? He came because I'm a sinner. He came because I have this sin problem. But then it's that baby in the grace of God, the grace of God we see in that baby in the manger, that grace towards us, undeserved merit and favor of God. Towards us is what we see in the manger. What child is this? Well, 
He, he's the Savior of the world. He brings hope to all of humanity. We need to ask ourselves this question again. This is the question that Christmas forces us to ask. Where is my hope found? Where do I believe salvation is found? Is there, where is it that true life is found? For us as believers, we unashamedly say it is found in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews gives us this magnificent picture of him, but the story of Christmas says that he humbled himself, that he became a human being, that he was born in a manger. Who do you believe that Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Do you believe that he is your Savior, that he is your hope? You see, also in the birth of Jesus, that there is this backwardness about his birth. In this, we see the humility that Jesus showed throughout his life. That he deserved to be exalted. He deserved to be honored. He deserved to be lifted up. And yet he was beaten and mocked and spit upon for you and for me. He, he laid down his life willingly that we might have life. This is the ultimate example. This is the ultimate sacrifice that was made. We see this modeled in the very first hours of Jesus' life. No baby in all of the history of the world deserved to be exalted from the time of his birth more than this baby. You know, I, I think about that movie, that Disney movie, uh, The Lion King, right? And they, the, 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 the cub comes and, and is born and they hold the baby up and they say, He's here, right? He's here. And that's what Jesus deserved. He deserved to be honored. He deserved to be exalted. He deserved that every single day of his existence. But instead, he was born in a manger to an unwed teenage mother with dirty animals all around him rather than in majesty and in honor. And it's in this humility that we as his followers are then called to make the standard of our own lives. That he ushers in this backwards kingdom that said, this is how you're to live your lives now, in humility. The Apostle Paul writes Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, and he says this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, when we look at the manger, we see the humility and the sacrifice of the Savior of the world. But then lastly, as we consider what child is this, we're reminded that lying in this manger is not just some baby, but this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, the manger scene may not be a setting that makes us think of majesty and power, 
But lying there in that manger is the one who is worthy of worship and praise. The one who is the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords. Lying in that manger is not just some uh, great teacher or great philosopher or uh, famous person in this world. But he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. This then brings us back to the book of Hebrews and this huge view of Jesus. That the baby that is born and lying in this manger is worthy of all honor, is worthy of all praise, is worthy of all devotion. We could lose sight of this if we just see the manger and the baby. But we need to be reminded of who this baby is. And we are reminded of who he would later be in Revelation chapter 5. In verse 11 through 14, I want you to look at who Jesus is, this view of Jesus. Listen to what it says. Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Then I looked and heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the baby that we celebrate at Christmas time. And as we understand who he is and what he's done, this song reminds us that we bring him laud, that we bring him honor and praise and worship, not just in the way that we sing, but instead as we look on this scene, as we look on his life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, we we come to an understanding of who he is and what he's done. And in in Romans chapter 12, It tells us that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That we give him our lives. Why? Well, because he's worth it. He's worthy of that kind of response. That's what it means to declare someone or something as Lord. It's to say that the Lord has dominion over every part of my life. That's the message of Christmas. The King of Kings has come. The Lord of Lords has come. Bow before him. Give him your worship, the worship that he deserves. Give him your life. Follow him with everything that you have. He is superior to everything else in this world. He is the hope for all of humanity. He is the picture of humility. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, worthy of all praise and honor. Friends, don't allow everything that is going on during the Christmas season with the lights and the trees and the presents and the the family and whatever else. Don't let that become our focus. All of those things can be good. They are good, but don't allow that to become the focus, the main focus for us. Instead, let our focus be about why we celebrate and, and be reminded that it's not just about this baby, but it's about the Savior. That he is the hope for all humanity coming down, condescending to us that we might have life, that we might experience real life. The call is to lay your life down before him, is to 
ask, uh, and I want to ask you again, I want to ask you to consider what child is this? And what will be your response to this child? Those are the questions that we want to ask. Those are the questions that we want to wrestle with over the Christmas season. I want to ask the worship team to come forward. We're actually going to sing this song together. What child is this? You know, as we sing this song, it's my prayer that the good news uh, that answers this question gives you hope, gives you joy, directs your life, causes you again and again to give your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That in, as Hebrews chapter 1 did for us, that it expands our view of who Jesus is, of what he's done. That he is the Alpha and the Omega. That he is the sustainer of everything. That he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. The chorus of the song goes like this. It says, this, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste. Haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary.